0: Good morning. Man, it's so great to see everybody here this morning. That was like the slowest good morning of all the services. So y'all got to sleep in a little bit. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 4 with me, uh, if you will. And man, I am so glad that you're here. Today's special day in the life of our campus because we get to commission out our Haywood folks that are leaving uh, this campus to go launch a new campus of our church. And about 20% of our campus is going to do that. And that's an awesome thing, isn't it? And that's a really cool thing for us to be able to do. Um, so we're real excited about that. And uh, we get to celebrate that today. Uh, all great things. And then I know uh, some news that, that Harrison Bridge folks will be excited to hear that next Sunday, We get to announce the new campus pastor here, so don't miss that. Uh, I know some of y'all are like, finally, right? It's about time. Um, But no, I have have enjoyed being with you. It's been really great. Hopefully by the end of the month, uh, he'll be able to start. And so uh, there's great things ahead uh, here at Harrison Bridge, too. We we should be starting real soon out uh, with the building. There's just a lot of great things worth celebrating today. And if you're a visitor with us today, this is just a special Sunday for you to be with us. So I hope you would take a moment and fill that card out like Elise said and put it in that basket out there. Uh, We'd love to be able to know you're here. I'd love to send you a note and just uh, reach out to you. That would be awesome. Um, Acts uh, chapter 4, we are uh, continuing in uh, our study of the book of Acts. I've really enjoyed this study because especially in the life of what our church is walking through, what we're going through and launching out campuses, it's really cool to see the early church and how they actually uh, started and kind of got their their beginnings. and, And so it feels like there's a lot of beginnings, a lot of new things happening for us. And that's an exciting thing. If you remember at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus commissioned essentially the apostles. He said, listen, you will be my witnesses. He's reminding them that he's sending them out with the greatest message they ever could have, right? The message of the gospel. Um, to be his witnesses uh, to uh, their hometowns and also the world. He's like, I want you to go everywhere to display the gospel and let the world know that, uh, that that lives in your heart. And so we start to see that even in Acts chapter 2, just a just a miraculous move of the Spirit of God as 3,000 people are saved in one day. What an incredible thing Peter was able to participate in preaching in. Um, man, it's something that the church has birthed, right? And even at the end of chapter 2, we talked about the early church trying to figure out what should we do with this, right? We Now we're the people of God. Now we're the church of God. What does that mean? Um, how has that really transitioned from um, who we were to who we are? And we start seeing that the church starts pouring into one another, that if there's somebody who has a need, they all share. Now, it didn't mean that they were all communists and just put everything that they owned in one plate. And they all share, you know, took out what they needed. What it meant was if there was a need, there were people in the church who were willing to sell what they had to, to get rid of that item or that thing so that they could actually benefit uh, somebody else who was in need. So they were, they were helping one another. They cared about one another. That, that kind of radical fellowship and radical generosity and a commitment to one another. Um, and so we saw last week really the boldness of what God's called us to. He's called us as Christians to be bold. In fact, so much so that we would say the importance of you and I walking through difficult times, our prayer modeled after their witness should be not remove this from my life, but give me the strength to overcome this in my life, right? To realize and recognize any obstacles that we face or any challenges that we walk through, are actually opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed and to be spread. And so as we see a common theme through the book of Acts is when there's opposition against the church, it actually works for the advantage of the gospel, right? So I'm not saying that we should be praying for opposition on a daily basis, but when there is opposition, the gospel thrives when the people of God are committed to him. And so what's awesome today is we're going to talk about this idea of authenticity or sent authentically. And so through these passage, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I don't know if you're a, a scary movie person. If y'all like scary movies, um, I'm not a scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe's like, nope, not me. She watches those without me. Um, I uh, I'm not really a big scary movie person, but I do I do like to watch some. And they all start the same way, right? It's like um, a quiet cabin in the woods, and some college friends are meeting up to go there, right? And it's like, oh, this is gonna be the best weekend ever, and every there's like nice, fun, peppy music playing, right? Like it's it's a happy thing. And then they look over, and the rocking chair is moving on its own. <laughs> And they're like, what's that all about? It's all downhill from there. And um, and so we, we kind of see those little shifts happen in different movies or it's like the white uh, house with the white picket fence and everything seems perfect. And then um, the mom's like, eat your vegetables. And you're like, what is happening in this place? Um, and so we, we see those things happen. And, and kind of the reality for us is when we encounter people that seem one way at first and then we realize they're a different way, it kind of checks our heart a little bit. It's not as fun, right? It's not as... It's not as exciting as, like that, as a scary movie likes to kind of get us with. When we meet people that we know are hypocrites or that are projecting something different than they are, it, it sometimes makes us not listen to what they're saying or to, to think what they're saying is less valid. And for the church, I want you to realize that most of the world sees us as the church as hypocrites, and I'll tell you why, because they see us as people who think we're projecting that we are perfect or projecting that we have it together. And yet they're like, I know their stuff. I know their life. I know what they've walked through. And trust me, they are far from perfect, right? And, and so the image that the world sees us as a church putting forth is that we are better than them. And what they realize is that we are not better than them. Now, here's the reality for us. The reality for you and I is that we are broken. We are imperfect. We are no better than the other person that, that would look at us that way. We are forgiven. And so the, the beauty of avoiding hypocrisy and focusing on authenticity in the way we live is a focus on saying, I'm not going to live a life that projects something different than being a broken yet forgiven person. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I will let you down. I will disappoint you. If we put our faith in a person, and we do that, we put our faith in people all the time, whether it be a pastor or a politician or whoever, we put our faith in people, and we have to realize people are broken and they will let you down, and yet Jesus will never let us down. Put your faith solely in him. Don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in the next campus pastor. Don't put your faith in Dallas if you're going to Haywood. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust him with your whole heart. He's not going to let you down. In Acts chapter 4, we see this this really um, unique and beautiful story. And then in in 5, it takes that turn. It's that rocking chair moment of going, wait, what's happening here? And so let's read these verses together and then um, we'll talk about them. In verse 32 of chapter 4, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them all, for as many of them were owners of lands and houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon uh, all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when her young men came and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who had heard. Um, Joe, if you don't mind getting the offering basket, we're going to pass the offering basket around uh, right now. Let's do it. I think it'd be easy for us to read this passage and to almost come to that conclusion, wouldn't it? To, to say, okay, this is like uh, God telling us you need to give or die, right? And um, But there's something larger here that, that we're not really seeing, and, and there's something a part of this passage that that is more to that, because it wasn't about the fact that they were robbing God of money. It was the fact that they were robbing God of glory. The Ananias and Sapphira were holding back um, something, Even though they were trying to project that they were all holy and they brought it all in, they were holding back something for themselves. They had schemed together to do that. Now, Barnabas had just done that. We saw that in uh, four, uh, chapter 4. Joseph, who's also called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, right? You're like, um, what, what's your name? Thomas the doubter. What about you? Barnabas, son of encouragement. Okay, yeah, you got the better end of that deal, right? Um, Thomas is like, I just doubted one time. That's it. and I can't get rid of this thing. Um, but the reality is Barnabas was a man who who led by example. He sold a field. He was like, I recognize there's a need. He brought everything uh, to to the church. He laid it down. He said, I'm giving this all, right? And and Barnabas, we see even uh, throughout the New Testament, we see more of Barnabas later on um, in, in Paul's writings as well. Barnabas is a guy who, who exhibited what it meant Uh, to give 100% to the Lord. And then there were some folks named Ananias and Sapphira who thought, well, we like the attention that Barnabas got, but we don't actually want to do what Barnabas did. So I talked earlier about hypocrisy, right? It's this idea of projecting something different than what's in your heart. And so the issue with Ananias and Sapphira is that they brought their gift to the Lord and they said, this is our gift. We sold our field and this is what we sold it for. They lied before God. Even Peter told them that. He's like, you don't lie before man, you lie before God as if we could hide something from God, right? As if he knows some, or doesn't know what we, we know, right? We, we're whispering behind his back. God knows everything about us and will know everything about us, right? It says he numbers the hairs on our head and that's easier for some than others, but he still knows even that level of detail in your life. And you think you can hide this from him? And Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias immediately falls dead. And they buried him. They didn't even waste any time, right? Those young men, it's like they were just ready to go. They wrapped him up and buried him. Um, And then when his wife comes in, um, he asks the same question to her. And then when she answers the same way, he's like, how could you guys have schemed together to lie to the Lord? That makes no sense. The guys that buried your husband, because he's already out there uh, dead and buried, are at the door ready to bury you. Do you want that to be the last words that you hear in your life? Um, I, I hope not, right? But she falls at his feet dead. And here's the deal. Like I said, it's not that they were robbing God of money. They were robbing God of glory. So there's two paths that we can take uh, today that I want to talk about. The first path is hypocrisy, reluctance, and death. These passages seem to authenticate the Word of God, because truly, if somebody was editing the Word of God, they would pull this story out. It just seems so confusing or almost so anti to what we've already experienced in the early church. But what this passage is describing is not an area of church discipline. Rather, it's actually God's personal judgment. They were robbing him of the glory that he deserved. And it came from the fact that they were actually looking around them and they were recognizing and seeing other people getting attention that they themselves also wanted. That's the definition of hypocrisy for us is that we are trying to look holier than we are. George MacDonald said, half of the misery in this world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. A comparison truly is the thief of joy and we can see that in the story, right? We can see that comparison's the thief of joy because Ananias and Sapphira themselves lost their lives. And we're all trying to display something that we're not. I mean, anybody that takes, like, a gym selfie is getting, like, the right angle. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I've never seen anybody stand that way. They're, like, twisted in, like, three different ways. You're like, but that... But we want to make sure it looks right. We want to make sure it looks good. Everything we're posting online has to look a certain way. And, and to be honest with you, this is why the next generation is struggling so much with anxiety, depression, and everything else, because they are barraged with a constant sense of comparison of saying, I'm not as pretty as that person. I'm not as smart as that person. I'm not as rich as that person. I'm not as skilled as that person. And we are constantly in this area or this desire in our hearts where even what, while we want to connect with old friends... We're comparing our worst day to their even fake day, fake best day, and we feel like, mate, I cannot live up to this person. And if you think this is unique to the next generation, let me tell you, in my generation and older, I'll say I'm, I'm old, I'm 42, we, we called it keeping up with the Joneses. That's the way we said it, right? If your neighbor got a new car, you were like, well, I got to get a new car too, you know? Like, I got a one-up, he got a Chevy, I'm getting a Ford. There's no way I'm buying another Chevy, right? Like, whatever the case is, like, at the end of the day, like, we have to recognize this is not a new thing. Comparison has always existed, even with Ananias and Sapphira, and yet that is what is stealing our joy. Now, here's how I know this is true. Because if I had us say, well, let me, let me have anybody who would consider themselves rich raise their hands? I know that's an awkward question, so I'm not asking you to do that. Um, But if I did do that, and there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of hands go up, but the ones that do, you'd be like, oh man, like let's take that guy to lunch today and hear his story. Like what's his deal? Um, But probably not a lot of hands would go up. And yet in the scope of the world, probably all of us in this room would fall in the top 5%. Most of us probably in the top 3% of the world as far as wealth. And yet we don't consider ourselves rich because we're comparing ourselves to the guy down the street. We're like, I don't have the Tesla and the beach house like they do, right? I, I, don't, I don't have the, the Hummer or whatever you want to say, like all those things that they might have that I don't have. And, and so I must not be rich. And yet every single one of us is blessed beyond measure. And yet because of comparison, we have convinced ourselves that we are not so. So comparison will steal our joy and rob us of what God has blessed us with. It doesn't say it's a sin to be rich. It says it's a sin to desire to be rich. Money is not the root of all either. The love of money is the root of all evil. Man, if you're a rich guy, rich woman in this room, praise the Lord for you, right? Like, that's awesome. That's that's not a problem. What problem is when we are trying to, as Christians, project a certain way that we have to live or get credit for something that deserves to go to the Lord. Now, I'm not I'm not necessarily condemning this practice, but some churches even to raise money, we'll have people buy pews and they'll put little plaques on the end. If you've ever seen that at the end of the pew, you'll have a name. Some of y'all are like, my name's there, Pat, be careful. I'm not trying to step on any toes on that. But, um, at my first church, we actually had a rolling cart that had a big CRT TV on it and a VHS, um, VCR. And it had somebody's name on it. Like somebody, I was like, that would be embarrassing for me. Like to don't put my name on the TV cart, you know, like at least give me a parking lot. I don't know. And it's, It's one of my like bucket list items to have something named after me, not for my own ego. I just think that'd be fun. Uh, So if you're a developer and you want to have like a Patrick Circle or a Gillen Court or something, let me know. Like, it would just be fun. I think it'd just be fun to do. Um, But we try to project something that we're not. I'm from Georgia, as you guys know. And... Um, anytime that we wanted to buy fireworks when I was younger, we had to come to South Carolina to get fireworks. You couldn't buy them in Georgia, all right? Now you can, so that's really hurt the South Carolina firework market, I'm telling you. Um, that's a different, I have no clue about any of that. But when we would come into South Carolina on 85, there's that, uh, that firework thing right off I 85, right? And you would come over here to buy fireworks. And when you first see it and and you look at it, you're like, we are going to the Costco of fireworks. Like this thing is like three floors, massive warehouse. I don't know why fireworks places want to project that image as if like, this is the most dangerous place you could be. Like don't don't even smoke in here because there's so much gunpowder. We're wiping this town off the face of the map, like. um, But when you walk in that place, it's not this massive place. It's like a single wide trailer with this big facade, right? And you're like, this is it, like this is the place. Um, I really thought it was going to be much bigger because what they're projecting, what they want you to see is like, we are this massive, successful fireworks company, right? When you walk in, you're like, this is this is really uh, not much to, to care about, right? Now, I, I don't care because I load them up and, uh, and we shoot them off and it's still great uh, that way. Um, ironically, uh, in Myrtle Beach, I bought some fireworks one time and was like, where can I shoot these? And they were like, well, it's illegal to shoot them, uh, but it's not illegal to sell them. And I was like, that makes no sense. And <laughs> Um, And then God's like, hey, can you move to South Carolina? I was like, okay, I guess so. Um, But we sometimes are projecting an idea or want to put out in front of us an idea of someone that we are not at our heart living inside, right? We we ourselves are living hypocritical lives because we want to help people see something um, that's not there. And one of the drifts that has hit the church is hypocrisy. Here's the definition. It's a pretense— Of having virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. It's saying, I don't really have these things, but I want to put them forth and make it look. Now I don't know if Ananias and Sapphira were Christians, or if they were true believers or not. The Bible does not indicate that. What it does indicate is that in this moment they lied to God through hypocrisy. And God took that pretty seriously. Now I've got like I've I've told people I I smile for your benefit. Like my resting face is such that people walk up to me and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, man, I'm doing great. Like, I'm I'm fine. They're like, okay, I just, I wasn't sure. And I'm like, all right, I I guess I need to project that a little better, right? And so um, if you see me smiling as you're walking through the doors, that's me like trying to let you know in my heart, I'm happy. And this is not even natural, but I'm doing it for you, right? Like I'm... I don't want you to ask me what's wrong in my life because things are great, and I'm just trying to help project that. Some of y'all need to learn that skill, okay? Um, because like me, you know, you're like, this is the best worship I've ever had, you know? Um, and you have to be reminded, well, let's, let's project that a little bit. Like, let's let it come out. And I don't know that, that that's hypocritical. I think if we're trying to let people know what's inside on the outside happen, even if it's outside of our norm, That's not hypocritical. Hypocritical is when we start to show people we are a certain way when inside we're not. Matt Chandler put it this way, and I thought this was great. He said there's two ways that we become hypocrites. The first one is that we think we're awesome that we think we're awesome. That's an easy thing for us, right? Now, as as an early believer, we we know we're not awesome, right? Like literally what brings us to the cross is I'm broken in need of a savior. I'm surrendering my life. That's what brings us to the cross. But for a Christian, it's easy for us to all of a sudden start thinking, I don't know, I'm pretty good at a couple of things though. (laughs) You know, I got a couple of things in my back pocket I'm really good at and I might even be the best here at this, right? Um and and so we start to think like some of y'all you saw Dallas outside today and you're like, "Oh, awesome, Dallas is preaching." And then you saw me with the microphone and you're like, "Ah, should we stay or I don't know, like." And so we do that like we're like, "I mean, I don't I don't know like um maybe I'm just not as good a preacher as him, or maybe I'm better. We start comparing ourselves, and then we start thinking, I'm pretty good. Like, I can do this. And that's where hypocrisy starts, because the reality for all of us is that none of us are good. None of us will be good enough. All of us are in need of a Savior, and all of us are broken, and all of us need to realize that. That, that The humble way that we live is, is to say that we are not awesome. We are sinners in need of a grace, and now we're moving past that and saying, Father, every day preach the gospel to myself. I need that grace every moment. I don't want to move past that and think I don't need it. Hypocrisy flourishes where the gospel is not preached. Preach the gospel to yourself. I think sometimes we forget the need for grace every day, and we, I've said this before. I didn't obviously come up with it, but um, I've, I've told people when I have an opportunity that if I'm the smartest guy in the room, uh, there's one of two things that's happened. Either one, I'm in the wrong room uh, because we certainly don't want to be uh, in a world where I'm completely in charge of something. And then two, like if I feel like I'm the smartest one in the room, there may be something wrong with my own heart too. And so we should be living our lives in such a way where we recognize that we are here to project who truly is awesome. And if God has gifted us with abilities and unique gifts, those things are simply ways to point back to him. And the second thing is that he says we're rarely willing to have the type of relationships that expose where we're blind. That we become hypocrites when we no longer need community in our lives to help us walk in this faith life. When we don't have somebody that can look across the table and look you in the eye and say, Pat, i, I love you, but this is a dumb decision. And you're willing to listen. I've always heard, like, if, if you want to listen to a critic, it should be somebody that loves the church, that or loves the Lord, loves the church, and loves you, right? And if those things are true, you can listen to that person. I'm telling you, we need a community of people where that's true of us. And we can say, I care about you, let me wrap my arms around you. And maybe that person looks you in the eye and says, that and you're like, well, let me look you in the eye and say that you've got a problem telling people about looking, you know, I don't know, but we need that type of community with one another where we can help one another follow the Lord better and find those blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots is because they're, you're blind to them. We're not aware of them. There are things in your you and I's lives that, that we are not even aware exist that might even be holding us back from something we need to surrender to the Lord. And we need other people that can do that. Even When we doubt our faith, even when we have doubts, it's not abnormal for a Christian to have doubts in their faith. And yet sometimes people go, well, I don't know if I want to bring this up to somebody. That's embarrassing. Or even somebody who accepts Christ and they're later in life and they're like, well, I don't want, uh, I don't want to go up and get baptized at 50. I don't want people to think I've just figured this out. Or maybe you got saved as a kid, never baptized. You're like, I don't want to get baptized now because then everybody's going to think like, Listen, we think far too much about what people think and not enough about what God thinks. And we need a community that's committed to what God thinks. We need a community that's committed to say, let's be so committed to the word of God and so committed to the people of God that those other things aren't going to matter as much. Warren Wiersbe said this, If God killed religious deceivers today, how many church members would be left? Golly, if God killed religious deceivers today, how many church members would be left? Now, here's the reality is that we live in a world where we have an enemy. And while Peter even reminds us that Satan, if he can't attack the outside of the church, will try to attack the inside of the church, we have to be reminded that we have an enemy. I honestly think Satan gets a lot of blame for things that he doesn't deserve, right? That's our own responsibility. But we have to realize and recognize that we have an enemy who is out to try and hinder the gospel. We have an enemy that is trying to say, Harrison Bridge, as you send out one-fifth of your campus, um, things are going to get tough, and I just want to do everything I can to try and make that even tougher. Hey, folks who are going to start something new, let's put as many obstacles as we can in that way so that the gospel is not proclaimed up there. And we ourselves as Christians have to be willing to, arm in arm, be willing to push past that and say, we want to live truth in love and the way that we live and the community that we are and if people want to paint us as hypocrites we will remind them daily of the fact that we are broken people just saved by grace and we hold so tightly to things and we hold so tightly to traditions and we so hold so tightly to things that are comfortable to us and yet god has called us to be bold john piper said this he said christianity is not a matter of external conformity to religious expectations it's a matter of internal liberty It's not a matter of force and law. It's a matter of freedom and love. Being a Christian means being changed from the inside out so that you fall in love with people and fall out of love with things. We hang on so tight to things and what other people think of us that we forget that God has called us to him and called us to a community, which leads us to the second thing, is authenticity, surrender, and life. If the first path is hypocrisy and death, then the second path is authenticity and life. I worked with students for so long, and um, I would always have people that wanted to work with teenagers, but they're like, I'm just not, I'm just not cool, I'm in my 50s, and, you know, you, you know if I'm walking in there with my hat backwards, and I'm like, no cap, you know, like, that's, uh, that's a weird thing for them, and I'm like, you're right, that is a weird thing, like, they, they're not looking for you to be relevant, they're looking for you to be authentic. The students don't care about your relevancy. We need student volunteers, by the way. They don't care about your relevancy. They, they care about your authenticity. They want to see you walk in and be yourself and expose your own Christian walk in front of them and say, man, look, I am far from perfect. And let me tell you, even as a pastor, I, I am not the best husband. I am not the best dad. I strive every day to be better at those things than I was the day before, but I am far from perfect in those areas. But let me tell you about how God has actually helped walk me through some of those things and how daily I pray for my family and pray for my own heart. That I would lead in this way. We need people who would be authentic enough to just be open and, and be real with people. Cause that's what God has called the church to do is not, not seek after our comfort, not seek after eliminating obstacles, but to say in the midst of these obstacles, here's how I proclaim the gospel and lean on his strength. And the world is looking for authenticity from a church that embraces and lives out the gospel. And yet truly our message gets clouded By our inauthenticity, when we ourselves are living hypocritical lives, people that do not believe will dismiss the gospel because they believe us to be hypocrites. We have to be willing to live authentically in front of people, to to, to live in such a way that other people would see our hearts and see our desires to follow Jesus as, as broken people. And that what he offers is, is the real thing. I, I am one of the, the, in fact, the only healthy choice I make in my life is that I don't drink soft drinks, okay? And, um, and, and truly, it's I don't drink caffeine at all. And um, probably once a year, I'll have a Coke or something. Um, it's usually like at a conference when I'm getting really tired and I need it. Um, but it's, that's a different story. I, and and I gave it up about 20 years ago. Um, but I used to be able to drink like a two liter in a day. Okay. And me and my brother and my mom would just buy like a two, I don't know how many two liters every time she went to the grocery store and we would just, I mean, drain those things. And, um, there's a big difference between Coca-Cola and members Mark, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like. A Coca-Cola, like the real deal, that's something, you can enjoy that. Or even a, you get a Pepsi, you're like, I, that one would stay on the counter for a while. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are like, I don't know, I like Pepsi. Some of y'all are like, if you go to a restaurant and you're like, I'll have a, a Diet Coke or whatever, and they're like, is Pepsi okay? You're like, I'll take a water, please. You know, you're that person. In <laughs> um, and, and all reality, like, we want the real thing. We, we don't want the fake knockoff. And if you live in my house, we try to get... Um, knockoffs as much as possible just cause they're cheaper. Um, but, but truly like Mel calls them dupes. You go to Amazon, she's like, it's not the real Lululemon. It's the dupe uh, Lululemon. i I don't even understand it, but that's what it's called uh, these days. And, and so we we're living in such a way where we're presenting the gospel as this, uh, this, if you try hard enough, you can be as good as me. Um, and God is happy with that type of gospel, which is not a real gospel. The real gospel is that I don't care who you voted for, I I don't care what you've done in your life, I don't care how extreme you think that was, you and I are on the same page in that we are both broken, we are both sinners, we both need a Savior. And let me tell you, it is the greatest understanding in your life to understand grace and to live the love and the freedom that Christ offers us. Uh, Truly not living hypocritical means to embrace the fact That authentic living means sometimes putting it out on the table and saying, God, break me. Help me surrender to you. And and to surround ourselves with other people that will help us do that. I shared last week, iron sharpens iron, that verse that we've often quoted. But have you ever thought about that, how iron sharpens iron? It's with fire and with sparks and with hammers. Like It's it's not like an easy process. It's a difficult process. And so would God call us as a community to say, let's together, as we send out Haywood, as we ourselves step up to the plate for this community, um, let's say, God, would you call us to the community that you've called us to with authenticity in the way that we live so that we are not a hindrance for the gospel, but we're actually pointing people to the gospel with the way that we live. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Would God break our hearts for him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the privilege that we've had to be here. And God, I'm just thankful for this community and what you've called us to. Father, I pray that this morning we would surrender even more to you, that God, um, people would not be able to look at our church and think that's that's a church full of hypocrites. And surely hypocrites will always be in our midst. But God, would you call us as a church to evaluate our own hearts even now, to, to surrender more of ourselves to you so that in, in some way we can present to others around us that we are not perfect, that we don't have everything figured out, that we are not excellent at everything, but God, you have called us as broken people to use what gifts we have, to use what knowledge we have, to use what abilities we have so that other people can be drawn to the grace that you offer us. And we thank you for that grace. Even today, we worship you for that grace. And so in these moments, Can we make your name great? Can we lift your name great? Can we not take any glory for ourselves or steal any glory for ourselves, but bring all praise and glory to you? And in this, we pray in your name, amen.